It's the Code St. Luke podcast, where you'll hear interesting topics and people brought together through the Code St. Luke Public Library. The views expressed by the commentators do not necessarily reflect the views of the City of Code St. Luke or the Code St. Luke Public Library. All right, with that out of the way, here is Hershey Dwoskin with In the Headlines. And welcome to our weekly uh, uh, talk on current events. Um, I have an interesting subject this week, I think. And, um, but as usual before that, you know, there's a few other points that I would like to make about sort of the week's headlines. And uh, I would say one of the week's most, um, and then sometimes I review the, the COVID situation because uh, obviously this is probably this, the single most important newsmaker all around the world. And uh, the status of COVID affects just about everything else, including uh, the economy, uh, education, uh, obviously healthcare, travel, and everything else. But this week, this very week, we, we crossed a very significant milestone in Canada, which is that we passed the United States in the percentage of people vaccinated. And that's a huge uh, accomplishment because they started way back in uh, end of December of 2020. And we only really got going, I would say, perhaps April, somewhere, somewhere in March, end of March or April is when the, the sort of campaign really got going. So uh, we are now at uh, uh, 70% of our total population having one dose at least and 50% having completely vaccinated. So those are uh, better results than the U.S., which is uh, still um, at uh, 56% one dose and 49% two doses. So it's really quite a, uh, let's say, a significant advantage that we made up. And of the people who are eligible to be vaccinated, in other words, people over 12 years old, uh, we are now at 80% first dose and 57.5% the second dose. And uh, Quebec is a bit a bit behind. Maybe it's starting to get concerning, but we're at 82% for the first dose, but only 52.5% for the second dose for uh, people uh, over 12 years old. So there seems to be somewhat of a slowing down um, in Quebec. And you have to think logically and remember that the more people that you vaccinate, that means the fewer people that are left to be vaccinated. And in that group of people to be vaccinated, uh, a bigger and bigger percentages are gonna be people who don't wanna get vaccinated. And so that's the sort of challenge to reach out to those uh, people who are hesitant. Um, in, uh, in the US, um, their uh, COVID uh, caseload is jumping by a very significant amount, and ours is still decreasing. Um, and it can't be that it's just a question of percentage of people vaccinated, because as I said, and as I just pointed out, you know, uh, that our numbers are fairly close one to another. Um, and uh, the US is now somewhere around um, 11 people, 11 new cases per 100,000, 
and we are at uh, one case per 100,000. So the, their new caseload is up 11 times more than ours is, even though the vaccination rates are sort of quite comparable, we'll say. Um, and needless to say, the first marker are new cases and then hospitalizations and deaths follow the uh, cases by a couple of weeks. So in the US, they've already reached the point where their hospitalizations are up and their deaths are up, uh, um, you know, uh, because of this uh, upsurge uh, in new cases. Uh, statistics that I was just reading showed that today, 83% of all the cases of COVID in the US are caused by the Delta variant. And, uh, you know, that's the variant which is much more uh, contagious than the previous uh, variants that we've had. So I don't know if the case, if in Canada, our, our numbers are similar. Um, I don't really know, uh, but uh, it, there is this enormous difference between the Canadian, not, not just the numbers, but the directions of, in which we're going. So we've been still up until yesterday on a downward trend in most provinces, and the US is in an upward trend in almost every single state and upward by quite a lot. So there is this big gap. Now, you know, taking this into consideration, we also have the news announced this week that uh, Americans will be allowed to enter Canada for non-essential purposes, in other words, for travel, tourism, and family visits, um, starting August the 6th, the, which is, uh, you know, uh, not very long from now. <clears throat> It's like uh, two and a half weeks about. Um, the conditions being that they are fully vaccinated and that they have a um, negative uh, COVID test uh, done uh, 72 hours before their arrival at the border. So those conditions are the same as any Canadian returning from the US. And the idea of course is, is that um, um, the people coming, the Americans coming into Canada theoretically would not offer much risk since they themselves are vaccinated and since they are also um, free of COVID uh, as of 72 hours beforehand. Uh, so there's, there is a somewhat of a risk in case they catch COVID, you know, um, you know, the day before they arrive at the border. But because Canadians are... 80% uh, vaccinated, the chances of the, the very small chances of these people infecting a Canadian become smaller the more that Canadians get vaccinated. And we are, we are uh, you know, over halfway there. Um, and the demand, obviously, for Americans to come to Canada uh, is big in the tourist sector in Canada. And, um, you know, which is the hardest hit sector in all so that's why the border is open. Uh, America has not yet reciprocated, but I'm sure they will uh, in a fairly short order because the demand by um, American cities and tourist um, sites close to the US border has been, has been huge. And I think the Americans were just waiting for the Canadians to make the first step and then they will uh, reciprocate. Um, uh, another country where cases have shot up, despite the fact of being quite heavily vaccinated, is, is Israel. 
they now have, uh, as of today, 1,300 new cases a day, which is a huge number um, uh, compared to what they had before. And uh, their vaccination sort of uh, campaign stalled when they hit something like 60% one shot and 57% the two shots. They just kind of stopped getting uh, more vaccinations in people's arms. Um, you know, due to vaccine hesitancy and uh, with the spread of this Delta variant, um, those who weren't vaccinated, of course, uh, are the ones in the main who've been infected. You've also read, of course, uh, you've also read about the Olympics in Tokyo, how uh, athletes and coaches and other staff members, uh, some of whom are testing positive. And many, uh, I would say all of those people have already been vaccinated. Um, I'm not sure, but I would say that they've all been vaccinated, but they haven't been vaccinated. They haven't all been vaccinated with the um, uh, vaccines which are uh, approved in Canada and the US. So in most of the rest of the world, um, vaccines have been used which were uh, less effective than the ones we approved here, vaccines from China, vaccines from Russia, vaccines from India. And um, so even though these people are uh, fully vaccinated, the effectiveness of the vaccine itself is less. Um, and we also know that there are definite cases, even in the US, where people who've been fully vaccinated have been tested positive for COVID. So there is a, you know, there, it's a fact that not that the vaccines are not all 100% effective. And um, what they are effective at is preventing serious illness. So that's the key in this whole issue. The more people you're going to test, the more cases you're going to find, even if people have been already vaccinated. So, um, you know, uh, I would say that's a, that's a kind of a highlight. And, and you know, uh, take note that Yesterday, the stock market in the U.S. dropped uh, by a, quite a large amount, over 700 points, with fears that the COVID, um, the COVID epidemic is not over and is, the end is not on the horizon because of the rise of these, um, these new variants. Um, you know, the market did change a bit today, of course, but still, uh, this is really the main issue that is... Um, that is uh, commanding people's attention all around the world. Um, I was gonna, I was hoping to scoop everybody. Um, so uh, I was hoping to scoop everybody today by uh, announcing uh, that Ben and Jerry's is not gonna be selling ice cream in Israel in the uh, occupied territories, but that news became public um, today and I read about it yesterday and I said, oh, wow, that's a good uh, entree into this subject. Um, so there were two events this week of note uh, in Israel, and that's one of them, um, that uh, Ben and Jerry's um, ice cream, which is owned by the multinational Unilever, but which has its own separate board of directors, they decided that in order to... Um, stick with their sort of, we'll call them progressive, so-called progressive principles, that they would not sell ice cream in Israel in the territories that were occupied by Israel after 1967. Uh, because these uh, territories 
uh, are not recognized by um, by the United Nations or any of the rest of the world as being part of Israel, and are being and is a disputed territory, and they didn't want to be caught up being accused of um, supporting Israel's annexation of the West Bank. Um, Obviously, the ice cream that is sold in Israel is made in Israel and distributed in Israel. And they said that they were, they were going to, um, uh, when their distributor and, uh, refused to abide by these um, conditions, uh, Ben and Jerry said they're changing distributors. It remains to be seen if there'll be any distributor in Israel willing to sort of stick their neck out and... Um, distribute Ben and Jerry's ice cream only in Israel proper. And of course, there's no, there's no um, buddy stopping anybody from buying ice cream, you know, in Israel proper and just taking it home in the West Bank. So it's much more of a symbolic uh, step than anything else. The, the, second, uh, the second interesting incident uh, in Israel this week was a um, uh, uh, an attack uh, by ultra orthodox uh, people on uh, conservative uh, Jews who were uh, attempting to um, pray at the Wailing Wall uh, on the holiday of Tisha B'Av, which is the uh, fast day for people who don't know. It's a fast day that commemorates the destruction of the first and second temples in 586 BC and 70 AD. And uh, there had been a semi-arrangement that was made allowing non-Orthodox Jews to pray together, men and women together, in an area uh, sort of uh, uh, touching the Wailing Wall, but not in the same area as everyone else prays. Uh, so these ultra-Orthodox uh, people object to any kind of mixed um, prayer and object in general to any kind of Judaism outside of orthodoxy. And so they attack the worshipers and um, disturb, you know, dis disturb the service. So um, uh, looking at these, keeping these two incidents in the back of our minds, what I'd like to do is to go over a most interesting survey done by American, uh, a most interesting survey of American Jews that was published this week. And uh, one I think which uh, has a lot of um, good material in it and uh, is a sort of a, a picture or a snapshot of what American Jews think about the subjects that we were just talking about um, uh, just now. And then we'll sort of tie it back to what these two things were at the end. So this was a study uh, with a sample of 800 uh, people. And the study was done by something called the Jewish Electorate Institute. Not a super well-known, uh, not a super well-known institution, but one which um, is, uh, I would say somewhat identified with the Democratic Party in the United States. So just to give you a kind of a heads up about this, the, the leaning of this institute, but nonetheless, it, the survey was done um, uh, using uh, quite a representative sample as I will uh, speak about. So uh, what they did was they chose 800 people 
half men and half women, um, uh, representing all, all the proper age distribution and the proper uh, income distribution as is uh, experienced by Jews in the United States and the proper educational uh, achievements uh, also. So it meant, the, the setup was meant to be uh, a sample of people representing the whole of the United States Jewish community. Now, uh, depending on who you ask and what your definition is, the American Jewish community consists of at the top 7 million people and at the bottom 5 million people. So to take a sample of 800 uh, and say this represents everybody, needless to say, is, um, uh, you know, the information is as good as the sample is, but that's how everything works. That's how any public opinion uh, poll works. They don't ask every single person in the whole country what they think. They have to take a representative sample. So um, one of the, the first question, I'm going to go through the questions kind of and give the answers, and then we'll go look at what, what all of this means. So uh, they start off by saying, uh, you know, do you consider yourself Jewish? So if anybody said no, well, then they were out of the sample. So 100% of the sample considered themselves to be Jewish. It was made up of 10% of uh, people who said they were Orthodox, 37% reform. 31% conservative, and 31% said just plain Jewish, no special denomination. And that's a kind of representative of what the U.S. Jewish community is. So about 10% are Orthodox, and the rest are not. Among the Orthodox people, of people who are Orthodox, they ask the question of sort of which branch of Orthodoxy do you belong to? And the answers were 29% to the Hasidic branches, 27% uh, to the uh, ultra-Orthodox but not Hasidic branches, what's called yeshivish or lit Lithuanian, and 38% just plain modern Orthodox. And that's how, the, you know, that was the division among the Orthodox. And then they asked, um, so I'm going to go through the, the questions that were asked or the interesting answers that were given. And they said, well, what are the most important issues that should be dealt with by the Biden uh, administration? So the top four issues were the climate change, voting rights, jobs in the economy, and COVID-19. And all, all the other issues were, you know, below that. Um, they asked the question, uh, who do you intend to vote for in 2022 uh, in the midterms? Um, so 68% said Democratic, and 21% said Republican, and 10% said undecided. And that number pretty well reflects how Jews actually voted in the last election with uh, Trump. So somewhere around um, 70 to 30 was the, uh, was the uh, or 72 to, you know, to 28 was the actual turnout in the last election. So in other words, by voting intentions, uh, by um, um, by uh, uh, religious identity, uh, this sample seems on the surface to be quite representative. Um, then they asked the question of, uh, do you approve the way Biden is doing his job so far? The 80% said yes, 20% said no. 
Do you approve the way Joe, Joe Biden's relations with Israel are, are doing? And in there, 74% said yes, and 26% no, said no. Now, here is an interesting question. Um, how emotionally attached are you to Israel? Um, you know, and I'm not, I'm, I'm breaking down the numbers not to make, not to make things too complicated. You know, the somewhat yes, somewhat this and somewhat that, but just to, so anybody who answered yes counts as yes. And everyone who answered no counts as no. So 62% of the sample said they were attached to Israel and 38% said not attached. Um, uh, I think, um, uh, in a certain sense, for those people who are, um, or for those for those for, for Israelis who um, look at the American Jewish population uh, as the biggest diaspora Jewish community, to have sixty two percent say they are attached to Israel, either a lot, uh, you know, or somewhat, I think that's a pretty high number. Um, on the other hand, you know, some people might say, my God, uh, almost 40% of American Jews say they're not attached to Israel. Well, um, you know, you have to take the context into consideration. So um, right now, Israel isn't under any major threat from the outside. And if they were, or if there was a war like the Six Day War, I think that number of not attached would go up. But 62% is what the answer was today. Now, here's the next question. Can you be critical of the Israeli government and still be pro-Israel? So in this question, 87% said yes, and 13% said no. So think about that for a second. 13% um, of American Jews think that you cannot in any, you cannot be critical of the Israeli government and still be pro-Israel. To me, that's a pretty high number, not a low number. To me, that's a pretty high number. So in other words, um, um, in other words what they're saying is, is that you have to be, um, uh, you have to identify with whatever the Israeli government does, uh, no matter what they do, because if you don't, then you are automatically considered to be anti-Israel. Um, uh, uh, so this is a debate which, you know, continues and which reverberates and, um, where, uh, you know, current politics, um, sometimes confuse the issue, but most Israeli Jews think you can still be pro-Israel, even if you are critical of the Israeli government. And, you know, obviously this is true for any country. In other words, um, uh, you know, Canadians can be critical of the American government and not be considered anti-American. And so, um, you know, the same thing applies to Israel. Now, the next question was another interesting one. How important to you is the United States financial support for Israel? And 71% said it was important to them. And 25% said it wasn't important to them. So uh, here is another very interesting fact. Um, you may know that Israel is one of the largest and has been in the past the largest recipient of American foreign aid. Uh, many people would point to this fact and say, 
you know, Israel is a very middle class country. They're not uh, all that below uh, Canada in their standard of living. And yet the United States supplies Israel with more money, more financial aid. Of course, this aid is not in cash money, but often it's in uh, weapons and other sort of things. But uh, still, um, the U.S. has been, uh, sorry, Israel has been number one or number two in receiving United States foreign aid for the last uh, 30 years. And, um, and uh, there, you know, is talk that this, this sort of U.S. program should uh, uh, be diminished, uh, you know, for all kinds of different reasons. So here's the next question. Do you support United States aid to Israel on condition that that aid is not spent on expanding settlements in the West Bank? So obviously they're trying to get an answer here, uh, which says that, um, that the US uh, money should not be going to uh, expanding settlements in the West Bank. And the answers were 58% supported this thought that the, the, there should be conditional aid to the U.S., to the Israel, as Bernie Sanders has recommended. And 25% opposed that. They said there should be unconditional aid, U.S. aid to Israel. Um, uh, you know, this question sort of mirrors a little bit the Ben and Jerry's question. In other words, um, uh, Ben and Jerry's did not say that they disapprove of Israel so much that they're stopping to sell their product there. All they said was they don't want the product to be sold in the uh, territories uh, which Israel occupied after 1967. In other words, the Palestinian territories. Um, in uh, terms of uh, approval rating for the uh, president, um, there is a clear difference in the United States between the Orthodox people and the non-Orthodox people. So the Orthodox people only gave Biden a 31% approval and they um, gave him a 44% approval in how he deals with Israel. So this, these are kind of almost the reverse numbers of how the rest of American Jewish uh, people feel. And it is um, obviously evident that among the Orthodox community in Israel, there is a much stronger leaning toward the Republicans, a much stronger unconditional support of Israel, no matter who's in charge, and um, a much stronger identification with Israel. I would just point out that this, um, this uh, feeling is not uh, a wholesale reflection of how Orthodox people in the US feel, because there's a very large stream of ultra-Orthodox people in Israel who are against any kind of American involvement with Israel, against any kind of American aid to Israel, uh, and the most extreme of which do not recognize Israel as a Jewish state at all. Um, now, here's the next question. You all know that um, President Trump stopped all aid to the Palestinians um, under his administration on the grounds that uh, they were terrorists and that's some American citizens were killed by the Palestinians. And President Biden said he wants to, and he did resume um, aid to the Palestinians, but avoiding to giving money directly to the government where it could be stolen or misspent. 
and uh, kind of directing the aid through um, NGOs, non-government organizations, for purposes of healthcare and education, etc. So uh, the question was, do you support United States aid for Palestinians? And the answer was 62% said yes, and 28% said no. Um, the uh, the um, the uh, uh, next uh, question was talking about the sort of uh, we'll call it the um, solutions or the the uh, hopes for uh, Israeli-Palestine relations. And the question was, what do you think would be the best solution to the Israeli-Palestine uh, conflict? Uh, so people who said a, a two-state solution, meaning a solution where Israel has its own state and Palestine has their own state, and the two states are separated from each other, 61% uh, of Jews uh, in the U.S. said that that's their best preferred solution. The idea of having a one state, in other words, you have one state where um, all of Israel and all of Gaza and all of the West Bank are in one country. And that country is not a specifically Jewish state and not specifically a Palestinian state, but just a state of all the people inside of it. That solution was preferred by 20% of the American Jewish population. And the last option that was offered, which was uh, we'll call it the Likud option, that uh, Israel takes over the whole West Bank um, and the Palestinians living there are not given citizenship but are just given uh, rights to vote in municipal elections. That solution was preferred by 19% of the American, of the sample of the American Jewish community. So, um, uh, you know, I would say choice number two and choice number three are, are, are diametrically opposed to each other. And most the Jews picked the uh, choice number one, which is to have a two-state solution. And this particular um, uh, program is nowhere on the horizon. Uh, there isn't any agreement in the current Israeli government for this. Uh, this solution was proposed couple of times in the past, and the Palestinians seem to have uh, rejected it, uh, you know, both times. Uh, Mr. Arafat rejected it once, and Mr. Abbas rejected it once, so there isn't a kind of a consensus there, and it means that the situation is in limbo uh, in the Middle East, or, you know, between Israel and Palestine, and that's exactly what Mr. Netanyahu wanted, and slowly but surely, this sort of status quo has led to, um, you know, expansion of Jewish uh, settlements in what would have become the Palestinian state to the point where there are now 600,000 Jews living in what uh, Ben and Jerry would call, um, uh, you know, occupied territories uh, who don't, who should not have the um, access to Ben and Jerry's ice cream in those territories. So he's depriving 600,000 Jews of being able to shop for their ice cream in um, local stores. Now, um, 
the next question I thought was so, 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 so uh, interesting, important, and indicative. And the question was, are you concerned about anti-Semitism in the United States? And the answer really kind of surprised me. 90% said yes, and 10% said no. So that's an enormous, enormous number. That of all the questions that were asked to this point in the survey, the most people agreed uh, with this question than any of the other ones that I had already read to you. So 90% of Americans are concerned about the situation of anti-Semitism in the US. And clearly we know that there have been incidents all over the place, physical attacks on Jews, killing attacks on Jews, um, certainly um, uh, social media attacks on Jews, um, you know, uh, uh, regular media attacks on Jews. It's, it's, it kind of, if you're looking for it, you could fill up, um, you can fill up, uh, you know, a pail full of these different statements that have come out uh, from all kinds of people uh, on the left and on the right. So the question was asked, well, uh, if you are concerned about anti-Semitism in the U.S., where do you think, who is responsible for most of the anti-Semitism? Do you think it's coming from the left? Do you think it's coming from the right? Or do you think it's coming from both sides? And the answer was, uh, from the left, 22%, from the right, 61%, and from both sides, 12%. So uh, the, the, at this point anyway, uh, the average American Jew feels that anti-Semitism on the right is more of a concern than anti-Semitism on the left. But if you ask the Orthodox population, uh, they said 69% of them said from the left, 10% said from the right, and 18% said from both. So obviously there is uh, you know, a huge gap in this perception of the threat of anti-Semitism between Jews who are Orthodox and Jews who are not Orthodox. Um, uh, the next question uh, gets a bit into the subject that we, were, we, we started with today, and that was um, about Israel. And um, they asked the question, um, does Israel have a right to exist as a Jewish state? Um, no, that Israel does not. Okay, let, let, we'll put, they ask the question in, in the negative. Israel does not have the right to exist as a Jewish state. Do you agree or do you disagree? So 9% of the respondents agreed that Israel should not be a Jewish state. But 84% disagreed and said Israel should be a Jewish state. So on the surface of it, these numbers, because remember, you're talking about a uh, community in the U.S. which is by and large not religious and by and large not orthodox. So these numbers are, are in a way, uh, I would say, quite, um, quite uh, optimistic for those who feel that Americans' Jewish support of Israel is sort of going down. So 9% versus 84%. Obviously, these numbers don't add, uh, add, uh, don't add up to 100 because there's always the not sures and refuses to answer and those, you know, those, um, you know, uh, 
those uh, leftovers, we'll call them. But our voters under 40 years old, 20% said that Israel should not have the right to exist as a Jewish state. So there you see a big gap between the average uh, member of the Jewish community and the younger members of the Jewish community who um, uh, double the people uh, of people under 40 believe that Israel should not be a Jewish state. Now, the question is, um, is it, is it anti-Semitic to say, is it anti-Semitic to say that Israel does not have the right to exist? So, um, you know, very often this issue of Zionism versus anti-Zionism versus anti-Semitism comes up all the time. Uh, if you say that Israel does not have a right to exist as a Jewish state, then you are 100% anti-Zionist because Zionism and the definition of Zionism is that the Jewish people have a right to their own country. If you believe in that, you're a Zionist. If you disagree with that, you're not a Zionist. But the question is, are you an anti-Semite if you feel that Israel does not have the right to exist as a Jewish state? Um, and 67% agreed that it is, it is anti-Semitic to say that Israel does not have the right to exist as a Jewish state. And 17% said it's not anti-Semitic to think that way. Um, again, uh, these numbers are really in a way quite, um, I would say, uh, quite um, good for those who um, want to have this tie between the American Jewish community and Israel. Um, because uh, the um, opponents of Israel have been trying to say very strongly, and these people could be in Iran, or these people could be in Turkey, or these people can be in all kinds of enemies that Israel has. Uh, and these people say, well, look, we, disagree that Israel should be a Jewish state, but we're not anti-Semitic. We don't believe that Jews themselves all around the world are responsible for what Israel does. We don't believe that Jews all around the world should be persecuted because they're Jews. We just don't agree that Israel should be a state for the Jews. And, you know, we think that Israel should be a country for, uh, that gives equal rights to the Palestinians living there and equal rights to the Palestinians living in the West Bank and Gaza. And so we're not anti-Semitic to say that. Uh, among American Jews, uh, just about 70% uh, uh, of the people said no, that this formulation is not correct. Um, what about the accusation that Israel is a quote, an apartheid state? So you hear that a lot in the news and you hear that a lot, um, you know, in demonstrations. And I just wanted to point out to any of you who, um, who uh, ever drive down Park Avenue, if you, uh, if you go down Park Avenue south of Pine and you just look up on the building, there's a huge two-story sign that says Palestine Libre. So, uh, you know, just to remind all of you that this subject is kind of a, uh, uh, not one which is, um, you know, in Israel alone or in the Middle East, but has, has kind of reached out to everyone. So the accusation that Israel is an apartheid state has been pushed around and 
um, you know, publicized all over uh, campuses in the U.S., Canada, everywhere else, uh, and in other places. And the number of Jews who agree that Israel is apartheid state is 25%. The numbers who disagree are 52%, and the numbers not sure are 22%. However, uh, for young people, in other words, people under 30, one third agree that Israel is an apartheid state. So uh, more people agree that Israel is an apartheid state than agree that Israel should not, have, should not have the right to exist as a Jewish state. Pretty well double the number uh, of people say that Israel should have a right to exist, but a third of the people say, yes, Israel has a right to exist, uh, but it's still an apartheid state. Um, uh, and we'll get back to this when we discuss this later. We're almost finished the results of this uh, survey. Um, Israel's treatment of Palestinians is similar to racism in the U.S. And this is a, um, this is a statement that um, opponents of Israel in the U.S., including uh, members of the sort of ultra-left wing of the Democratic Party, like Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar, uh, and maybe uh, AOC, uh, they, the people who are trying to whip up support for the Palestinians are trying to compare it to racism in the U.S. And this is known, this sort of formulation is known as intersectionality. So intersectionality means that you tie one issue to another. So in other words, if you want to support, for example, um, uh, the black movement in the U.S., you also have to support Palestinians in Israel. If you want to support gay rights in the U.S., you also have to support the Palestinians, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So one, one issue, one uh, we'll call it progressive issue, is tied to every other one. And you can't just support one without supporting all of them. And that includes, uh, you know, uh, clean energy, and that includes the green, uh, the, the, the green agenda. Uh, people who are on the left are trying to tie this all in a package in order to um, make themselves stronger <clears throat> and in order to promote each and every issue uh, without uh, having people being able to just pick out one issue. And... Um, so to the question, the, the statement was that Israel's treatment of the Palestinians is similar to racism in the US. Do you agree or don't you agree? And 34% agreed, 50% disagreed, and 16% said they're not sure. Um, I think that's a very, in a way, dangerous uh, uh, answer because clearly the younger people would be even higher than 34% who say that um, uh, Israel's treatment of the Palestinians is a sort of racistic. That's what the answer was. Then uh, the, the even more uh, serious accusation, you hear this sometimes, that Israel is, is, is Israel committing genocide versus the Palestinians? 22% agreed, 62% disagreed, but of the 22% who agreed, people under 30 was 33% who agreed. So um, clearly there's a large majority who feel this is not the case, but a significant minority feel that it is the case. Um, 
the, uh, we'll say, the answers that were given in this um, survey uh, have to motivate people in Israel and uh, leadership of the Jewish, American Jewish com community to work at it so that these numbers go down instead of going up. And how this is done is a whole uh, question that we could talk about uh, afterward. Um, what about uh, Trump's accusation that Jews who vote Democratic are disloyal to Israel? In other words, Trump made this statement uh, uh, during and after the election campaign saying that, well, uh, I, Trump, did so much for Israel that anybody who votes against me is being disloyal to Israel. Do you agree with this or don't agree with this? So 15% said they agree with it, and 77% said they disagree with it. In other words, you can vote Democratic and still be loyal to Israel. Uh, lastly, last two things, how do you identify do you, are you a Democrat or lean Democratic? The answer was 60% uh, in that category. Are you a Republican or lean Republican? It was 24% in that category. And the rest, of course, is, you know, neutral. Um, uh, so uh, this survey, this is the end of it, and it shows that many American Jews do agree with some of the harshest critics of Israel. And the harshest critics of Israel use the uh, agreement and support of this minority of Jews to bolster their um, uh, opinions and to legitimize their opinions. In other words, if even Jews are critical of Israel, why can't anybody else be at the same time? So this, this is the end of the survey. And now I want to go back to some of the questions we spoke about at the beginning. Um, so uh, you will hear very often, you will hear very often um, the criticism that Jews who don't support Israel are themselves anti-Semitic uh, or what's called self-hating Jews. Uh, this is a frequent accusation that you hear in, um, we'll call them, uh, uh, right-wing uh, uh, circles, um, that you can't be genuinely Jewish and against Israel at the same time. So the two incidents that uh, we spoke about, um, the refusal of Ben and Jerry's to sell ice cream in the West Bank, the Israeli government reacted by calling uh, Ben and Jerry's anti-Semitic. Um, and obviously there's people who agree with this. My question is, let's go to the next case that I mentioned, the riot in Jerusalem against worshipers who are not Orthodox. Now, wouldn't attacking, physically attacking Jews who are trying to pray at the Wailing Wall, wouldn't that be anti-Semitic? So, uh, you know, right-wing people, right-wing uh, Jews would be sort of, I'd say, confused or, 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 or um, you know, uh, not horrified, but they would be uh, put off by accusing uh, ultra-Orthodox Jews who attack other Jews as being anti-Semitic. And yet, you know, here's a group who are physically attacking Jews who want to pray in their own section. Um, 
And they would say, these people are not anti-Semitic, whereas Ben and Jerry for not selling ice cream in the West Bank uh, are being considered anti-Semitic. So to me, you see that there's a kind of a, I would say a kind of a sort of a double standard in a way. And um, it, it makes you think. It, in any case, it makes you stop and think. So that comes to what is, how do you define an anti-Semite? What's the definition of that? And this definition has been swirling around now for a long time. And at long last, um, the world has come to a, um, uh, an accepted definition that was accepted by the United Nations, uh, accepted by the United States, accepted by most of the Western countries uh, in the world. Um, and uh, this definition says that pre prejudice against Jews as a people or as a religion uh, or as an ethnic group is anti-Semitic. Accusing Jews of double loyalty, in other words, being more loyal to Israel than to their home country is anti-Semitic. Um, to say that Israel does not have the right to exist as a Jewish state is anti-Semitic. Now this last part, you know, in a certain sense uh, could confuse some people because they could say, well, what does Israel have to do with Judaism? And the fact is that Israel is the only Jewish state in the whole world. So if you deny this state its existence as an embodiment of the national rights of the Jewish people, not only is it anti-Zionist, but it is also anti-Semitic. And this definition was accepted by the uh, United Nations as a whole. Uh, clearly, clearly you can imagine that there are a lot of people who are not in favor of this formulation. So for example, you remember uh, Jeremy Corbyn of the Labour Party in Great Britain, uh, he certainly was against this formulation. And there was a, um, uh, a list, I would say, of um, a strongly left-wing uh, people in the academic world, the Jewish ones, who came up with an alternative uh, definition, leaving out this particular example. And this was called the Jerusalem Declaration. And, um, you know, it tries to say that uh, it's not anti-Semitic to say that Israel doesn't have the right to exist as a Jewish state. Um, so the boycott that, uh, that uh, Ben and Jerry came up with uh, brings up the whole idea of this BDS movement, the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement. And the question is, is that movement anti-Semitic? So, um, uh, because BDS is kind of shorthand for all kinds of things, and you hear this BDS term being thrown around quite a bit. Um, the BDS movement was a movement that was, well, the boycotting of Israel in any economic sense was, uh, was, uh, was created right when the state of Israel was created. So in other words, members of the Arab League and other fellow Muslim states said, when Israel was created, we will not trade with Israel in any way. We are boycotting them. And that boycott is stood in, mo in many cases uh, from 1948 until this very day. 
so no products made in Israel can be found in, um, in uh, you know, on Arab shelves in stores uh, in countries that keep this boycott. And not only that, but they tried a secondary boycott, which didn't work, which said that any countries, uh, any companies trading with Israel cannot trade with the Arab states at the same time. And so they did a boycott of Coca-Cola when Coca-Cola opened the plant in Israel. This sort of secondary boycott more or less fizzled. Even the primary boycott is kind of on its back legs nowadays. But it goes to show you that BDS idea of boycotting is still is still around. Now, um, uh, the Ben and Jerry's uh, action is not strictly BDS because they're not boycotting Israel. They're just boycotting sales in the West Bank. And I think that makes a very big difference. Um, there are many people in Israel, a large number of people in Israel who are today boycotting all goods made in the West Bank, whether it's wine or whether it's uh, food products or other things. Uh, they have their own system of boycotting these products because they don't agree with Israel's um, uh, occupation in the West Bank. They don't agree with the settlers in the West Bank. And so um, they don't buy products from there. So these people in Israel themselves uh, obviously can't be considered anti-Semitic or anti-Zionist because they're uh, Jews living in Israel. Um, and therefore you can apply this, you know, by extension to people who are living outside of Israel. So, so long as the BDS movement doesn't say, well, we don't agree with Israel, period, and we are boycotting all products uh, from Israel and not products, you know, just from the West Bank, then they, they stand kind of in the same league as, uh, you know, as many other people. But um, most of the BDS supporters don't agree with the state of Israel being in existence whatsoever. And the other issue about the BDS movement is that you know, if their complaint is that Israel is occupying foreign territories um, against the will of its people, well, then are they boycotting other countries in the same situation? So other countries can include countries like Morocco, which comes to mind, which uh, occupies the, the former Spanish Sahara, the, uh, the huge territory to the south of Morocco. Uh, Russia comes to mind obviously having occupied uh, the Crimean Peninsula and parts of the Ukraine, um, and also occupied parts of Georgia. Um, uh, the Armenian-Azerbaijani uh, issue we, we had discussed previously, uh, you know, another class, uh, but there is, uh, you know, on both sides, you can make an accusation on that score. And, you know, obviously going back in history, depending on how far back you want to go, countries have, and boundaries have changed, you know, all over the place. So uh, Poland now occupies part of Germany and uh, Russia occupies part of Poland and, uh, you know, etc. going into Yugoslavia and Myanmar. I mean, all kinds of places occupied other places and kicked people out. So, um, you know, to just pick Israel and to just pick on Israel is, is definitely, I would say, an indication of much more than anti-occupation feeling, but, you know, uh, is a kind of a verges into a sort of an anti-Semitism, which is 
which is um, cloaked in the uh, more respectable anti-occupation uh, kind of format. So um, that's uh, what I was going to have to say about this particular subject. Let me check my watch again. Yeah, we're about three o'clock. So um, I know people have lots of opinions on this subject. Uh, many people's definition of anti-Semitism is uh, different. Um, you know, some people are so are so um, uh, we'll call it sensitive about the subject of anti-Semitism that um, you know when the light uh, on Cavendish and Kildare stays on a bit too long, the red light. Some people say, "Oh, this is anti-Semitism because they know they want to stop me from going where I want to go, and I'm Jewish, and so therefore this is anti-Semitism." Just to give you, you know, the most ridiculous example. Um, uh, but you know, uh, everyone's definition is different, and this sort of uh, subject does bring up some some interesting uh, ideas. On the, this survey, does bring up some very interesting ideas and a good snapshot of where the American Jewish community is. And to summarize again, to say that the this survey or snapshot should give uh, a lot of people, especially in Israel, the um, instructions on how to go about, uh, we'll say, repairing ties with the American Jewish community, such that, for example, if Israel's actions in the, um, uh, in, in the West Bank or in East Jerusalem, such as kicking out the, the inhabitants of the apartment buildings in Sheikh Jarrah district, that, that um, doing something like this or acting harshly against the Palestinians doesn't just turn Palestinians themselves uh, more against Israel, but also turns the American Jewish community who are uh, those of which are on the left also does harm to that relationship. And surely there are benefits uh, to Israel from having bigger support from the U.S. Jewish community not only in terms of money, but also in terms of political support, etc. So I'm going to uh, stop this. Uh, let me check my watch again. Yeah, no, we're at three o'clock. So um, yeah, let me know what kind of comments and questions you have about this, if any. And um, if you want, uh, I can, uh, well, I, I gave you where you could read the survey itself, but I really did summarize it pretty well. It's a little more detailed than I uh, gave. I skipped out all parts about opinions on voting rights and things like that, which don't have much, much effect on, uh, on Israel or, or on us in general. Uh, and then uh, just to say again, that if this is what the American uh, Jewish community thinks, how much does that reflect what our community here thinks? Uh, is it reflective? Is, isn't it reflective? And um, I would say prob most likely that as a community, we are more supportive of Israel and a bit more conservative, but uh, it certainly is something that pointing to the younger people in our community, that their feelings and thoughts, I'm sure parallel the ones that uh, we uh, discussed in the survey. So um, yeah, tell me uh, what you think about all this. Um, any other examples you wanna bring up and uh, I'm open for your comments and questions. So, Mr. Dwasen, we have uh, Steve that yeah. uh, raises his hand. Steve, unmute yourself and ask your question. 
Okay. Hi, Steve. Okay, very good. Hi, Hershey. You can hear me okay? Yeah, very well. Okay, good. I have a couple of comments. Uh, mm -hmm. With regards to the stock market dropping, uh, this is not this is not only because of uh, the resurgence of COVID. No, it's, it was the oil, the oil, the uh, oil agreement as well to to pump more oil onto the market. Well, it's it's also because of uh, so many people being paid to stay home and not work. Last month, there were about five hundred and thirty some odd thousand jobs filled in the United States with nine point two million job vacancies. This shortage of labor feeds inflation. Would you yeah. agree? Um, yeah, I, um, you know what? You cannot uh, look at the stock market on a one-day basis uh, and, and make all kinds of conclusions because what changes one day could change back the next day. Um, I remember uh, Donald Trump just said, Wait, wait till if you kick me out of office, the stock market will drop like a stone. And it didn't. So um, the stock market has its own logic and its own way of reacting. And people will look at what's happening and then kind of work backwards and say, well, what's the cause of it? Um, so that's why, uh, um, you know, what, what was published was fear of COVID and the agreement by OPEC and, and Russia to increase supply of oil on the international markets, causing prices to go down. Okay. Um, with regards to this here Jewish survey, yeah, I would have my own survey for the survey. Who okay. For it, what are their political affiliations? Who have they donated money to in the past ten years? Right. What I, 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 right. I understand. I don't. Um, I. I let me. Uh, let me go back to the beginning where I. So it's called. This the survey was done by, something called the Jewish Electorate Institute, okay. and uh, you know you could Google it and see who they are, who and as I said at are? the beginning, as I said at the beginning, they are supposedly a democratic leaning organization, democratic meaning the U.S. Democratic Party leaning organization. But more than that, I don't know. I didn't get the, um, I, you know, I don't, I don't know who's on the board of directors and all that kind of thing. Well, I think that all that is uh, crucial to uh, the type well, of questions they're asking, yeah. what they're looking for, what sort of result they come up every, with. Every, every survey is that way. You have to, you know, every single one that you look at, you always have to look at the motives and who stands to gain and what are they, are they promoting any specific uh, idea, you know? Um, yeah, some other things that I would. But, but still, even, but taking, as I said before, you know, taking that into consideration, um, uh, assuming that the sample chosen is relatively representative, it does give some valuable information, even if you have to kind of shave off a certain percentage of, of bias. Uh, Hershey, other, other things that would interest me about this here survey of the people who conducted it is what percentage of the people that they call refused to speak to them? What level of post-secondary education did the respondents have? And where yeah, that, did they get their news from? Right. That, that one, uh, the, the one about the post-secondary education, the information was there. I didn't give it. I didn't give it, but it is there. It, it's very representative of the makeup of the Jewish community as a whole. 
but it is in that you know I don't want to I don't want to go out of my um, iPad to go look for it but it was there it was um, you know the sample showed relatively high education which is the relatively uh, which is the status of the uh, Jewish community as a whole and um, it didn't give the information for example didn't give where people live so it didn't say are these people from the northeast or from the south or west or where are they from sure. Uh, but um, it presented itself as being representative. That's all I could say. Um, but clearly, clearly, you know, once you know right away that they they are that they're affiliated with a sort of democratic leaning, uh, 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 you know, uh, people, then you can realize that the results are. Are, are shaded toward whatever they believe in. But still, like I said, even so, even if you change the numbers by 10%, it's still quite representative. I also found it interesting there were no questions about the erosion of freedom, liberty, or privacy. No, they didn't. Uh, no, I, there, there were, I read all the questions that were relevant. The ones that I said that I didn't read had to do with... Uh, uh, the, the controversy about voting rights in the U.S. I just uh, I left that out. But, okay. you know, um, uh, they picked the questions that they wanted uh, answers to. Um, there have been a couple of interesting pieces of, uh, of information lately regarding the American Jewish community. One of which is, um, you know, ha having done surveys, uh, on self-identification that um, much, many more people self-identified as Jews as was previously thought. And obviously these people are not halakhic Jews. They're not Jews uh, who have a, a Jewish mother or who have converted to Judaism. But these might be people of mixed marriages, even, even going down one or two generations away. And there was still identification, self-identification as Jews and that's where this 7 million uh, number came up. Um, the number of, uh, 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 of, we'll call them, more strongly identified Jews or halakha Jews in the U.S. is probably closer to 5 million and dropping, um, whereas the other wider category is uh, bigger and could be even growing. So uh, that's one interesting part. Another thing that this survey asked us, I didn't mention is, you know, what, do you identify yourself as being uh, white or black or what, you know, this type of thing? And there was a, somewhere around 5% of the answers who, who identify themselves as non-white. So meaning, uh, you know, black or, or uh, Hispanic uh, origin. And okay. uh, that, that is, that is a, a number in the U.S. which, uh, seems to be growing, um, uh, you know, as a result, mostly of marriages, uh, mixed marriages. Thank you, Hershey. You're welcome. Anybody else? Uh, yes, there was a question, uh, Mr. Dwoskin by Boris. He's asking how some American Jews can be anti-Semites. How? Okay. Can you say the question again? Yes. How some American Jews can be anti-Semites. 
Well, that's, that's like, I discussed this before. It's a question of how you define what being an anti-Semite is. There are people, let's say, for example, I don't think that there are any Jews who, uh, if you ask them the question, are you an anti-Semite, would say yes. Because um, if somebody felt strongly against Jews as a people, as a religion, as an ethnic group, um, and they themselves were Jewish, they would just, you know, say, well, I'm not Jewish. They just wouldn't themselves identify uh, as a Jew. So um, there are a lot of people who accuse other Jews of being anti-Semitic. So these are lots of cases where if a Jew, for example, says something against Israel, as I was saying before, that there are other Jews who would say that that person is anti-Semitic because they're not in favor of Israel. So this is not a self-definition, but this is what somebody else is calling someone else. Um, um, uh, like, like um, you know, uh, as I said, um, you know, uh, the Israeli government, even these current foreign minister who is a very center or center left person, he accused Ben and Jerry of being anti-Semitic because of what they did on their on their boycott. Um, other people would accuse the ultra-Orthodox people who attacked the Jews praying as being anti-Semitic because they are attacking other Jews, not because they're Jews, but because they're actually praying uh, and doing a Jewish service. So you know, the label anti-Semitic is a very kind of loose one and one where you can put on other people for all kinds of reasons. But I would say, I would say that it's, uh, it's extremely uh, uh, unusual or rare to, to find a self-identifying Jew. In other words, somebody who says, I am Jewish, I, I, I acknowledge that I'm Jewish, but I hate, I hate Jews. Because to say that is kind of, you know, being contradictory. There were, by the way, there were, there were, and, uh, you know, as you know, we're, we're learning about this, especially, you know, lately, there were plenty of Jews who served the Nazis in Germany, some of whom were uh, in the uh, Wehrmacht, some of whom were in the Nazi party itself. And you could ask the question, how is this possible? And uh, the answer was that, um, you know, uh, or, or you could ask, were these Jews anti-Semitic? Uh, the, you know, the answer is certainly that whatever actions they took could have resulted in other Jews being harmed, uh, but they themselves personally were there to save their own lives, um, or they, you know, in some cases, they just, even though they were Jews, they just didn't consider themselves to be Jewish, or it wasn't important enough to them uh, to counteract all the other things in their lives. So, um, you know, life is, life is complicated, and people are complicated, and people have, people have many sometimes contradictory feelings all at once, all at the same time. I think what this survey shows, and what's important to think about, is that young people uh, don't have the same opinions as their parents or their grandparents on the issue of um, Israel, 
on the issue of identification as Jews. And, uh, you know, this is something for leaders, I think, to uh, try to work on. And I also think it's important that whatever Israel's actions are vis-a-vis uh, -vis the Palestinians, that they should take in, if the opinions of American Jews are important, and if the opinions of younger American Jews are important, they should take that into consideration whenever um, doing whatever they're doing. So that, was, that would be what I would say anyway. Any, anything else? Uh, no, not yet, if you want I, to wait. I just, I, I just would like to ask my, my people and my listeners to, again, if they've got some subject that they're interested in or some topic that they would like me to speak about, to um, email me or to email Angela. And, um, you know, I'll be glad to accommodate you. I don't see anything yet, uh, Mr. Dwaskin. Okay, so, um, you know, I wanted to thank everybody and thank you, Angela, uh, for hosting. And um, we'll see you all next week. Thank you for listening to the Code St. Luke podcast today. We launched the podcast and telephone broadcasting service in March 2020. The idea was to get content from Parks and Recreation and the library into your homes using Zoom, telephone, and podcasts. If you enjoy the podcast, please give it a rating and review at Apple Podcasts and share it with your friends. For more information about programs at the library, visit csllibrary.org. For information about the city of Code St. Luke, visit CodeStLuke.org. Have a great day.